1: What's going on, everybody? And welcome to bat- the Battery Power Podcast, specifically episode number 368. It is Sunday, September 18th, and as you've probably figured out by now, I am not Brad Roland. My name is Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is on this very feed, uh, where I've been helming kind of the, the minor league side of the operations for battery power since 2015, been the deputy site manager since 2018. Brad, unfortunately, is on the road. He is traveling yet again. Uh, I can only assume it's because he doesn't like our listeners very much. I can't confirm that to be sure. But to help me out in uh, hosting the show for this week to run down the goings on in the, uh, the with the big leagues with a very interesting division race on our hands is a, a familiar sight. And yes, this means again, the inmates are in charge of the prison once again. Scott Coleman, what's going on, buddy?
2: Eric, how are you, my friend? I'm glad that we get to do this on a Sunday in our normal slot, especially because lately it feels like the Braves have just, like their only losses come on Sunday afternoons right before we are about to record a podcast. They, of course, won on Sunday. They swept Philadelphia, which was uh, a really nice weekend after a uh, a little bit of a bad taste in their mouths after a West Coast trip. But um, always good to do one of these with you, and and pretty crazy that now we really have just, uh, is it two weeks, two and a half weeks left in the regular season? It is just flying by.
1: Yeah, things, time's definitely getting away from me this season. Uh, you, we kind of have had circled this Met series at the end of the season, and it's kind of. Really kind of creeping up on us that that's going to be very imminent and that's going to be a very important series. Uh, As Scott mentioned, the Braves were coming into this week on a West Coast trip that I think ended on a poor poor note, losing series both to in Seattle and to the Giants. Uh, And we'll kind of get into the end of that kind of get into that Giant series before we kind of get into the weekend games. Swept two games in Oakland. I think under a lot of circumstances, uh, concerning the Braves' history with West Coast road trips, we would have been happy with a four and four West Coast trip. Uh, but for the Braves' aspirations, combined with the Mets, you know, losing some games that frankly they probably shouldn't have lost, that you know, folks were really kind of down coming into this week, and particularly coming into the series with the Phillies, they were concerned that the Braves were going to blow their chances at the division. But fortunately, as Scott mentioned, the Braves did sweep the Phillies, and we'll kind of get into the game by game uh, here in a little bit, you know. But right now we're in a really tight division race. And before we kind of get into those games, Scott, we have some news to talk about. And uh, the first is the roller coaster that was the 48 hours of Ozzy Albies being back. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Ozzy Albies had been out with a broken foot. Uh, they suffered on a foul ball. Uh, this was back in June. Took a long time, three months, plus rehab for a recovery there. You have, a, you know, and the Braves have been dealing some injuries as well. You have, uh, here hear, to the uh, IL with a left quadricep. You know, we have, you know, roster moves to make room for, you know, Jay, Jay, Jay Jackson, because Ozzie Albies did return from that rehab stint in Gwinnett. That was prolonged primarily because there was a lot of weather issues in Gwinnett, if we're just being honest. But he had a couple of good games in Gwinnett, and they decided to activate him this week. But then things kind of went awry, Scott. So I guess first talk a little bit about, like, kind of what was your initial reaction to kind of having Ozzie back? What were your expectations for him? And then kind of let's go into a little bit about what, what happened the other night with his finger.
2: Yeah, I think both on and off the field, Ozzie Albies makes just such a tremendous impact on this team. Uh, He brings a true energy about him. I think it's just his vibrant personality that just kind of bounces off everybody else in the clubhouse. Um, So to have him back on Friday night was really exciting. And we, of course, are going to talk about now, uh, presumably Von Grissom will return to an everyday type of role and I think listeners know that Vaughn started out really well, and then he has cooled off over the last couple of weeks. Uh, of course, being a rookie, you know you're going to have those ups and downs, and it really did seem like I think I was most excited for was you get Ozzie Albies back at second base, and then you have the versatility of Avon Vaughn Grissom to play basically anywhere on the field other than maybe catcher and uh, center field, right? Like he has that athletic... Uh, profile where he could bounce all over the place and now you lose Ozzie after really a game and a half it was a real bummer we will see if he is able to get back in at some point in the playoffs we'll see I think that's a little bit up in the air but it was it was great to have Ozzie there on Friday and half of Saturday but then just a a brutal blow for him I, I felt awful um, it's it's just a really unfortunate timing with that injury
1: yeah, the Braves didn't get to have Ozzie back in really a, for very long. Uh, he was sliding into second base in the second game back, was very clearly bothered by his hand. And I think when anyone on a slide, whenever they start grabbing their fingers, you know, it's generally not great news especially when they leave the game right away you know like if it's just a jam finger or you know kind of a sprain a lot of times those guys try to stay in the games especially if it's a non-throwing hand but when he leaves the game straight away you kind of know something's wrong as it turns out it was a fractured right pinky finger he has been ruled out for the rest of the regular season so for all the people asking maybe he could come back in the last week of the season maybe for the met series or whatever that's not going to happen but it does, but snicker and a lot of the reporting around it seems to indicate that uh, a return during the playoffs is possible it doesn't sound like that he's he's going to have to have like a major surgery or anything like that to kind of reconstruct his finger, but he does have a fracture there. But I do want to spend a little time with you, Scott, talking about Von Grissom because uh, obviously, with my time in the, covering the minors, I'm a Von Grissom fan. I was certainly surprised to see him get called up when he was called up uh, for. A, I expected a guy who had started the year in high A as a prep draftee in the on the third day of a draft, no less. Uh, When he starts at high A and he ends up in the big leagues this year, you know, you you maybe expected him to struggle a little bit, but at the very least he could have, you know, covered defensively at a position where, you know, the depth wasn't really quite there. But he has, by the raw numbers, performed reasonably well. But there's reason to be somewhat concerned. And I kind of wanted to see what your concern level was in that, you know, last few weeks hasn't looked particularly great at the plate. He's still produced here and there. And more importantly, he's kind of one of those guys that, has kind of an average exit velocity. It's at the lower end of the scale, which isn't particularly great. You know, Isn't a guy that's necessarily hitting the crap out of the ball every time he comes up there. What where, What is your kind of thoughts about what you're expecting from Vaughn going forward? And kind of like, what's your kind of like, a, now that we have a, a relatively decent sample size of what he's been at the plate, kind of what your thoughts are going forward? Because there's definitely some weird things about his profile.
2: Yeah, you know Vaughn came up and just, I mean, he was out of his mind those first couple of weeks. And naturally, as we know, the the biggest adjustment that rookies have to make is that first adjustment coming up to the major leagues, learning pitchers the first time. But then once there's video on hitters, once you can kind of learn their tendencies, like, look, man, like major league starters are really, really good. And they're going to learn how to attack you, I think. Uh, Vaughn got a little swing happy at times over the last couple of weeks but as you noted his numbers overall are are really fine I mean you you talk about he's hitting over 300 um, doing a decent job of getting on base 357 on base percentage is strong and then uh, he he has flashed some real power that was something I think that surprised me most uh, with his profile and defensively at second base he's been okay uh he had a a rough couple of games frankly the entire team had a rough couple of games out in the field uh towards the back end of that road trip in in california and seattle but um at this point unless Albies makes a a fairly quick recovery here uh, i I think it's going to be vaughn at second base just about every day um and and maybe uh maybe it's not a perfect scenario maybe not a uh, you would love to have Ozzy out there, especially with his veteran uh, experience. But you know, it's it's an opportunity for Vaughn to really continue learning on the fly, um, and it's it's kind of by trial by fire because he is going to be counted on, even if he is batting eighth or ninth most nights, as we presume he will be. Um, he, he's going to have a lot of uh, a lot of responsibility there.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know. A lot of teams don't have the luxury of replacing a guy that has the pedigree of Ozzy. Maybe he hasn't had the best year this year and he's, you know, had, you know, maybe the last calendar year. He hasn't been awesome. But I mean, Ozzy obviously is like a multiple time all-star, one of the you know, a lot a lot of people consider him one of the better second basemen in, in all of baseball. And to have a guy like Vaughn, as young as he is to come in and produce the way he has, it's been I mean, between Grissom and Arcia, getting the kind of production they've got out of second base since ozzy has been out, It's been frankly pretty remarkable. Um, and we can, we've got to get into what the bottom of the lineup because another guy at the bottom of the lineup has been doing real work too. Um, but the thing about Grissom, and again, one, one of the things that Chris and others have noted is just that, you know, this is, again, we're, we're, we're talking about like, you know, like bottom 20% of the league in terms of average exit velocity that we see out of Grissom, but it's a weird profile because a lot of those guys that are in that zone of what, you know, hitting the ball hard don't like don't have particularly high, you know, we're talking about like 20% or lower hard hit rates, you know, barrel the ball, maybe like 3% of the time when they come up to the plate, but that's not really what Vaughn is. He's his hard hit rate's still a third of the time, which is again, you'd want it maybe a little bit higher, but that's not that bad. And of the guys who are at kind of the bottom of the scale, he's barreling the ball 5% or better at the time. It's a weird case. And it's a weird sample for him in that when he does hit the ball, he really does hit the ball hard. And but when he's hitting these soft, the, a lot of these soft grounders that he hits, or these you know soft pop ups and things like that, that they're so, they're they're almost so low that they kind of like skew things a little bit. I'm very curious as to where he ends up settling, because power playing in games, we knew he had the raw power. We saw him park some balls when he was at Augusta and at Rome. Like you could tell that he when he really could get a hold of one. He could hit the ball a long way, but it doesn't always play. He does seem to settle a lot just for kind of like slapping the ball and play and just kind of hoping it works out. Uh, And certainly some of his early numbers were buoyed a bit by, you know, some bad type stuff, but I'm very kind of curious as to whether he can kind of like get into kind of like hitting hard line drives on a relatively regular basis. He had a good hit today, you know, uh, that he laced up late in the game. So, you know, hopefully he can kind of continue to be more that guy kind of getting these averages up. Because I don't think, I don't think, that he's going to be kind of like a bottom of the scale, you know, ender NCR day 60, 70 exit velocity grounders basically every time he goes up there. I think he's better than that. How much better than that? I don't really know. Uh, I will say that. I think that, you know, when you're first at bat in the major leagues, you, you know, hit a home run uh, over the the green monster that, you know, that maybe that sets the expectations a little bit too high, but at the same time it's uh, how much the power does play, even though we clearly know he has it in the tank, how much it plays is going to be something that's important for him going forward, and it's going to help the Braves' chances a lot if he can kind of get to it. Because without Ozzy, there's you know it's going to be Grissom's you know chance to be able to kind of help the Braves close out this division race. We do have some other news. Um, we have Kirby Gates uh, to the injured list with elbow inflammation, and taking his place is William Woods. This is a move that was a little bit surprising, I think, Scott, for both of us. Is that you know with Kirby, you know he had pitched okay-ish. Um, he wasn't a guy that you wouldn't you necessarily trust out of the bullpen, and then you have you know he's clearly dealing with some sort of elbow inflammation. Hopefully, it's kind of a short-term thing. It doesn't sound like it's going to be like a long-term. You know, he's heading you know under the knife again or anything. But call up William Woods, who's again an interesting name. Uh, we can get into that in a little bit. But kind of, what was your reaction to this, and kind of what were your thoughts on Yates before he kind of went you know end up going on the IL? Yeah, I
2: mean Kirby looked like a mid 30 year old reliever who was trying to come back from Tommy John. Uh, The pitches were not very sharp. Uh, You know, this is not a 20 year old who just had the surgery and you figure that he's going to recover, you know, faster than your average uh, arm or whatever it may be. I mean, again, you're talking about a pitcher who has a lot of mileage on that arm and he's coming back from major surgery. And I think as a reminder with Yates, the Braves signed him to a two year deal Um, I think he's only making like a million, maybe $2 million this year, and then is owed $6 million next season in 2023. So even the Braves felt that his value is more than likely going to come next year. Um, The command has not been there. His walk rate is almost equal to his strikeout rate, which is never a good thing. He has given up home runs. And just the eye test as well. Like When you watch Kirby Yates throw... I don't know if a single time I've been like, wow, that's, that's nasty. No wonder this guy was really good. A couple of years ago, it might just take a little bit more time. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you think about in a postseason scenario, would Kirby Yates ever really appear in a game for the Braves? Probably not. I mean, he, he's like the last guy on the, in the bullpen as things stand. And as we know, you don't need a full stable of, of pitchers in a, a postseason race. So, um, uh, it's a bummer. I hope uh, everything's okay for him. He seems like a really good dude, but either way, I, I didn't think this moved the needle a whole bunch one way or the other.
1: Yeah, Yates wasn't being used a whole lot, particularly in leverage situations. Uh, you are right that you know he's he's making base salary of $1 million this year, and then next year he's set to make $6 million. Uh, I had forgotten that there was a club option on this deal uh, for f- uh, $5.75 million uh, for 2024. So if he does figure things out, then the Braves can uh, bring him back for, you know, uh, if he's, again, good, if he's reasonably good, that's a perfectly fair rate for a reliever of some value. But if it doesn't work out, they're not going to owe him a ton of money for that next year. But I think you're right. It's, it did feel like he just he, – Nothing looked particularly sharp, looked at times like a junk baller. Uh, and, you know, not everyone can be the king that is Jesse Chavez at, you know, throwing junk balls and, you know, somehow just getting outs repeatedly over and over again. Uh, you know, our king uh, did close out today's game, which was pretty wild to me. And I, I do want to mention that a little bit earlier that uh, Jesse Chavez has returned and, you know, just against all odds continues to perform, get, give the Braves out of the bullpen real value. Uh, William Woods is an interesting arm. Uh, And I think that you're right that he probably doesn't move the kneel a ton. But he's a guy that can threaten triple digits with that fastball. But the numbers haven't been particularly great this year. And he had a a foot-slash-ankle thing happen uh, when he was pitching down there in Gwinnett. And he missed a suspicious amount of time. Uh, Like everything that i heard and i was asking just you know like is this a big deal they they would say no but he missed enough time that made me wonder if there was something more serious going on or that it was a more like kind of a severe injury and when he came back the numbers weren't particularly great but i do like what the Braves are doing here that if you're going to have like if you need a guy just a guy and you're choosing between a Victor Vodnik who has kind of been dealing the same thing we love the stuff is great um, but he is you know, dealing has been dealing with injury stuff, and then you have a William Woods who's already been optioned, he's already been up once, and who has kind of a similar sort of upside that there's a it's a really live arm, assuming but we're not sure exactly how much time he's really gonna be pitching. He's a guy he's a kind of a guy that's gonna be dealing with more, I think like mop up type duty would be my suspicion in Woods case while he's up. But the Woods was a guy that I mean I circled for a long time as a guy who could be a really interesting guy out of the bullpen for the Braves this year. I am just not sure if this year's gonna end up working out just because, you know, the the way the track record of, you know, injuries and are starting to, you know, catch up with him a little bit and just the numbers haven't been particularly good. But he's an interesting arm to be sure. If even if he's not a guy that we're, you know, like gonna be saying, you know, he's gonna be pitching the seventh or the eighth inning in an important game in a close game, right? Um but, you know, I, I like Woods, and he was good when he came up for the Braves in that, that kind of that cup of coffee that he had earlier this year. So, you know, who knows? Maybe up things working out great. But for right now, um, that's pretty much what we have with him. Any thoughts on Woods before we kind of go on to AFL stuff?
2: No, not particularly. I think, as you noted, um, you know, you might as well see what you have. Maybe you give him a couple of appearances in games that are not particularly close. Um, as, as we have said, Yates was not throwing – huge innings every now and then he would find his himself in a game that was like a, you know, a one, one or two run game in the seventh inning. And it's like, Oh wow. Okay. They're going to Kirby, but, um, but yeah, so as far as the Arizona fall league goes, Eric, um, you are of course a, a prospect guru. Um, the, the Arizona fall league, if folks I would imagine most listeners have never been out to the Phoenix metro area for the fall league, it's a pretty cool setup. I mean, it's, there's it is the it's not even like spring training light it is you're watching prospects sometimes some of the best prospects in the game in front of like 50 people on a tuesday night in a uh you know in in a it's kind of a relaxed environment but it is a cool opportunity to see some of these up and coming talents so eric why don't you tell the folks a little bit about the handful of players the Braves are going to be sending out west
1: i'll be happy to and i appreciate you letting folks know as a uh... Some may not be aware that you're a, a resident of Arizona and uh, have uh, actually kind of been out there a bit and watched some games here and there. The Arizona Fall League is always a weird thing for me because it is a mix, right? There are really good prospects and there's some really good prospects both from the Braves and just abro- across the league that are heading towards the Arizona Fall League. But it's it's almost like that there's two groups of players. There's like you know like a prospect showcase where like guys who are either like highly Thought of, they wanted to just get a few more innings so that way they can kind of be more ready to go going into next season, possibly to have maybe just a short stint in AAA and then be ready to contribute to the big leagues. And then you also have a lot of like roster. There are there is certainly some roster filler, but there's also guys who like were hurt over the course of a year and. They just need more innings. They just need some play appearances. You know, maybe they missed a few months and that they just want to get some more play appearances before going into the offseason. Uh, the Braves have a mix of those types <laughs> going. Uh, that, so the Braves are sending six players. They're sending outfielder Justin Henry Malloy, who's clearly the best prospect that they're sending. It's probably the best position prospect that they have in their farm system. Uh, they're sending shortstop Cal Conley, uh, who was spent time in Augusta and Rome this year. Right-handed reliever Jose Montilla is going. Uh, left-handed reliever Alex Siegel is going. Right-headed reliever Austin Smith is going. And the Braves' Rule 5 pick from this past offseason, Alan Winans, who was starting for Mississippi this year, uh, he is also going. He dealt with injury missed a bunch of times. So in terms of the prospects, if you're, like, circling names of, like, these are the guys I want to watch, Malloy is the pretty clear choice. Uh, he started off at third base. Uh, I will say that he looks particularly athletic, but he doesn't move particularly athletically. And the defense was pretty rough at third base. They moved him to left field, and all this guy has done is just produce at every level. He was at Rome, was hitting really, really well, hitting for power. Started really, the power started to come more consistently. They moved him to Mississippi, which is a place where power like gets eaten, and it's really hard. You have to kind of like squint your eyes and go, that ball probably would have gotten out of most big league stadiums, but died in that, you know, that humid air in that big stadium they've got there in Mississippi but he's still been hitting for power. He's been hitting home runs, been probably the best offensive player other than Cade Bunnell, uh, who's a name that I was a little bit surprised. wasn't going uh, to the Arizona fall league. Cause I think he's produced really well for Mississippi, but Malloy has been very good. Uh, the move to outfield has been an excellent one for him. Cal Conley is a weird case uh, switch hitter. He has some power. The problem is he kind of sells out for it. Uh, and the hit tool really has suffered as a result of it. I also question whether or not the, the, the defense at shortstop is going to end up being good enough because the arms a little bit suspect. Uh, if we're, Winans has been very good as a starter since he's been back. We haven't had a ton of looks, enough looks at him, which is why I think he's a kind of a prime candidate to be an AFL guy. This guy that just doesn't have a lot of innings this year, sending him to the Arizona Fall League, maybe allows him to get some more innings under his belt and kind of feel like that this isn't kind of like a totally lost season. And you kind of feel like a full season of progression for him in terms of development. I wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of like in the mix, either with trades or, as an option for like potentially for the Braves next season, he's kind of that that advanced and kind of has that level of pitchability. One of the names that's most interesting to me amongst the reliever group is Alex Siegel. Uh, this is a left handed reliever. He's pitched very well for Rome and, you know, fastballs, 93, 94. The stuff is really good. He knows how to command his pitches. He's a guy that, again, amongst relief prospects, these are the guys that kind of sneak up on you. Is the ones that like you end up producing really, really well. Uh, and you know, there's not like hot shot relief prospects necessarily. This guy's to kind of grow into the role and then end up getting a shot. He's one of those guys that I think that could happen. Uh, he was a draft pick several years ago. He finally seems to be kind of running, rounding, rounding, round, coming back from injury. So if you're like circling, a, I wonder if there's a relief prospect. You know, Austin Smith's been good too. Don't get me wrong, but Siegel's kind of a guy that I'm going to keep an eye on, particularly pitching from the left side. Um, I see that you have a an Arizona Fall League memory that you might want to share with our listeners. So I, I actually, I actually do want to hear this story because I'm not sure I've
2: heard it. Yeah my uh, probably the coolest I've, I've gone up to the Arizona Fall League a couple of times over the years, and I think it was 2009 and by far the coolest experience was it was like it was a weekday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, and there were literally 20 people in the entire stadium. Uh, but in the lineup that night was a 19 year old Jason Hayward and a 20 year old Freddie Freeman. Um, that was, of course, the fall before Jason Hayward made his big league debut. He had that awesome spring training and then broke camp with the team in 2010. Freddie Freeman was not far behind him. Um, you know, that that was really cool to be able to sit in the, the first row behind the dugout. You could hear every single word being said um, and a chance to see, you know, one superstar or future superstar player and then another player who has been Uh, Had some really good years and has made a boatload of money playing Major League Baseball. So that was definitely a cool experience, as you noted. Uh, No prospects quite to the level of of Freddie or Hayward uh, this year. But it is it is a cool if you're like a big time baseball nerd or a prospect guru. um, It's cool because you have six stadiums all within like, I don't know, uh, a few square miles in the Phoenix Metro uh, it, it's a cool way to watch baseball really at its purest form. There's no, there's no hundred foot jumbotrons going off. There's no beer vendors walking all over. It's, it's just baseball. And if you have a chance to see some really good prospects, uh, it's really cool.
1: Absolutely. And that's going to start up in October runs for about six weeks. Uh, and then, you know, baseball is going to be pretty much done for, uh, on all levels by that point. Uh, before we kind of get into the games and we talk a little bit about this Giants series followed by the Phillies series this weekend, we're going to take a quick break to listen to our work from our sponsors.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in
3: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: All right, Scott. The uh, week didn't start off particularly well. Uh, They had already coming off a tough series loss to the Mariners, who's a good Mariners team, and a particularly rough loss when it involves Kenley Jansen punting away what would have been a very... Uh, fun sort of comeback win uh, in the last game of that series. The Braves end up losing two of three to the Giants, who are not a particularly bad team. They're not having like a a banner year, but they know how to pitch and they kind of have some scrappy hitters and things like that. But Monday starts with a 3-2 loss uh, where Spencer Strider, who we'll be getting to a little bit later in the show, uh, didn't have his best stuff but still end up striking out plenty, plenty of guys. Didn't have a ton of offense going. Do you have any thoughts kind of what's going on, what was going on in that Monday game? Was there like, you know, were you kind of feeling any sort of way? Because again, at this point, the Braves have lost three or four games.
2: Yeah, it was just kind of uh, uh, the Braves have been so good, as we know. They've been so, so good for th- three plus months now for th- for them to hit that West Coast kind of slowdown, um, They just looked a little tired. I think a, a lot of folks probably felt similarly You know, they were away. I think at that point they had been away from home for a full week, uh, traveling 2,500 miles. Um, as you noted, the giants are not a bad team, but they obviously have underperformed this year compared to where they were last season. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a frustrating, really both the Monday and the Wednesday games. There was not much offense. The pitching was not bad, but of course, when you're not scoring runs, the margin of error gets to be smaller and smaller. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it just, uh, on Spencer Strider, who had a, a phenomenal two performances this week, I think it just speaks so much about him that he did not have great command on Monday night, and he still managed to strike out nine hitters and really not give up any kind of hard contact. He is just so, so good. And it was an, it was very somewhat similar to
1: what happened in today's game. For, was Monday, was that early on, you would have not guessed that he would have gone on and pitched as deep and pitched as well as he would have. Uh, And he just like turned it around and just rallied and, you know, Basically kept the team in the the, the game single-handedly. We're not going to dwell too too long on the 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 giant series because you know Sean did a great job kind of covering those games as they were happening over on the Hammer. By the way, shameless plug: if you want to make sure you want to get your kind of your nightly updates as to what happened in the previous games, make sure you subscribe to the Battery Power podcast feed because you'll get this show, you'll also get the Road to Atlanta, which is our minor league show, you'll get the podcast to be named later, which is hosted by Chris and Stephen, uh, which is a, kind of our deep dive podcast, but you also get the Daily Hammer by Sean Coleman, who does a great job just kind. Have the daily, you know, 15 20 minutes, just a quick hitter, explain kind of what happened in the previous night's games, any any particularly important newsworthy type things happening. He does a great job keeping you updated. So, if you subscribe to this feed, you'll get that podcast and be able to keep updated. And we won't want to necessarily trample on what he's been doing too much. Uh, but Tuesday, uh, the Braves do bounce back with a 5 1 win. Uh, I would say that that wasn't probably Kyle Wright's finest hour. Um, you, the, the last few outings, he's looked a little. I mean, I, you, you can call it arm fatigue. He just hasn't looked as sharp as he had earlier on in the season. But you know, didn't necessarily need to. Dansby Swanson was very, very good on Tuesday. Had a homer, drove in three runs. Uh, Any thoughts on Tuesday before we kind of get into the kind of the, the rubber game, which happened on Wednesday, which was, uh, I would say, r- probably the most frustrating of the three games for me.
2: Yeah, I think you noted about Kyle I mean it's it's worth reminding folks this is the first time he has done this over a full year in the major leagues it's the first time that Spencer Strider has done it although he has really uh, had not shown any signs of slowing down I mean even guys like uh, Bill Contreras is again they're going through the motions of 162 games for really the first time in their young careers and I think that just speaks to uh, just the true grind of a six month hundred and sixty two games. it's just it's a lot. Um, hopefully as as we get down the stretch here, Kyle's able to refine himself a little bit. Um he did a nice job settling in after a slow start. Uh, we know how important he is to this team's success, and hopefully now that he's able to get back on the east coast and and get away from Oakland and San Francisco, he's able to settle in a little bit
1: yeah i agree and it's it's hard to predict whether or not that happens it's just, and that's just the truth of it you know everyone you know a lot of people have been kind of dialed in on the fact that he has 18 wins, which, you know, has spoken somewhat to how well he's pitched, but the quality of his starts has certainly gone down over the course of the year, and that's not a weird thing to have happen, especially for a guy, like, kind of his first year, really pitching deep into a season with significant innings, and he's thrown a lot of innings for the Braves, so let's be abundantly clear about that. Uh, it'd be nice to be able to get him some rest, or at least some extra rest down the stretch, but it's, it's hard to do that in this situation the Braves are in, in this tight division race, which brings us to the Wednesday. Carlos Rondon is on the mound, and you know, the Braves lose four to one offense couldn't do anything. The offense struggling was kind of a theme of the last two series of the West Coast road trip. They just had a lot of trouble getting going, except for a couple big innings here and there. Um, but Charlie Martin was on the mound. And you made note about this in the in the notes here. And I kind of want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about it. Uh, was not particularly good. And Morton has been a bit suspect at times on a number of levels, um, you know, getting hit pretty hard. Clearly doesn't have the same command that he used to. The pitches don't always have the same sharpness, and when they do, it's almost too much. Uh, very famously, he's basically a, a guarantee to hit one guy in the back of the foot with a slider every single game. Um, wasn't particularly awesome. Kind of. Where are you at with Charlie Borton? Because I'm kind of – it's it's a weird place for me to think about because I, I certainly don't think he's, like, this terrible, right? But at the same time, it's kind of hard to, like, have a ton of confidence once he's out there.
2: Yeah, I'm fascinated to see, and maybe this will be partly matchup-driven. Maybe it will sort itself out. But, you know, with Morton, you're right. Like, whenever it's Charlie Morton Day, I don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, boy, this is going to be a tough day for the Braves. Like, he's fine. Overall, 4.17 ERA. His underlying metrics are fine. He he struck out 200 hitters this year. His strikeouts are up. Uh, The two concerns, uh, one of them especially being the home run, um it seems like every start Charlie is giving up a couple of home runs and that is a concerning trend especially in a playoff atmosphere where runs tend to be at more of a premium you know he's he's given up 1.37 home runs per 9 uh that's almost double where he was at last year and it is the worst mark of his career by far since 2010 when he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates so you're talking about 12 years ago so for all intents and purposes, this is the most home runs he has ever given up in a season. Um, and, and that's concerning. Uh, that being said, I I think, um, you know, Charlie's a veteran. He has a long history of pitching in the postseason and pitching well, too. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated to see internally where the Braves feel and how they feel about Charlie going forward in a true uh, must-win playoff scenario, would they give the ball to Morton or would they prefer Strider or would they prefer Kyle Wright or would they prefer a bullpen game with the variety of weapons they have? So that's something I'm kind of keeping an eye on as we near the end of the year. We know the Braves are going to be in the playoffs one way or another. It's just kind of a matter of of where they end up. And I think the, the Charlie Morton um, debate question – conundrum, whatever wording you want to use is something that I think is worth keeping an eye on.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, we got burying the lead a little bit, like that's not even factoring in, you know, Max Freed, who has is certainly going to get some Cy Young consideration this year. And it's it's an interesting problem the Braves have is that they have some real choices to make for the rotation, particularly going into the playoffs playoffs. I'm just going to go ahead and predict this, though. There's like no shot that Charlie Morton doesn't start a playoff game, right? There's just none. But uh, how good I feel about it is very different. Now, where I'm currently just in terms of like like longer term for Charlie, I wouldn't be surprised if Morton is back with the Braves. I would be a little bit surprised if they exercised that player option because that's a lot of money to give to the current version of Charlie Morton if we're just being frank about it. And, you know, if Charlie Morton's your fourth or your fifth starter, it's the twilight of his career. He's an older guy, and that's perfectly fine. Bringing him back in a cheaper deal, that makes some sense to me. But giving him the kind of money that's on that player option, I would be pretty surprised by. I know that the clubhouse loves him. I know Snicker loves him. I know AA loves him. and th- Those those things do matter. But that's a lot of money to tie up with him for next year. Now, going into this year, this postseason, I suspect that one thing that they will try to do is get another opportunity to rest their starters for an extra day kind of going into the playoffs. It's it's really tough to do that right now just because the division race is so close and winning the division is a pretty big deal for just, you know, again, being honest about it. But at the same time, you know, does Charlie Morton in a lot for some matchups? Is he the guy, especially if there's like a lot of like left handed bats that really can like get after him? Is he the guy that you want starting in that type division race? And I don't know if that's the answer to that question. Uh, it, again, it, I think you're right. It does depend a little bit on uh, matchups. Uh, very fortunately, uh, once once that series loss happens with, you know, no offense in that game, because, I mean, Carlos Rodon's really, really good. Uh, it felt like a gift that they, you know, he doesn't he doesn't pitch particularly deep into games, but, you know, Braves can end up getting anything going and end up losing 4-1. And the end of the West Coast road trip, 4-4, four and four, uh, you know, despite starting it off well, uh, they get a little bit of a gift for the with the Cubs managing to sweep the Mets, uh, which was lovely, to say the least, uh, to keep the Braves in it in this division race. and Might have changed the decision calculus in some kind of later games a little bit, but they have a day off on Thursday. And that brings us to the Phillies series, which, spoiler alert, the Braves did sweep a Phillies team that desperately needed wins. And that is, a I think, a good sign. So we'll talk about this Friday game first. Um, Max Fried, you know. Still having some issues with some solo home runs here and there, but pitched really well. Six innings, uh, threw a bunch of pitches. But we see, you know, this is kind of Ozzy's return. Acuna takes homers late to give him a 3-2 lead. Uh, and then all of a sudden they kind of just, they're down 2-1 late in this game. And Acuna hits the home run. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's a 5-2 lead, you know. And all of a sudden they win this game 7-2. But I'm going to give you a little chance to talk about this. Obviously, the offensive explosion late in the game was kind of the the biggest reason the Braves won this game. But it was what was going to kind of happen behind the scenes with kind of the reliever situation and what's going on with Kenley Jansen. Obviously, he's been much maligned in his current role. Uh, Brad and I talked last week that we thought that you know that doesn't mean you don't ever throw Kenley, but it might be best to not keep him out of the, like the highest leverage situations in the game. So talk to us a little bit, kind of something you noticed and your thoughts and kind of what his you know the usage of the bullpen going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great comeback win on Friday night. And after Ronald Acuna homered to take a 3-2 lead in the eighth inning, uh, Iglesias was warming up instead of Kenley. Now, the Braves came out on Saturday and said that Kenley had a, a bruised pinky finger or a, a minor sprain in his pinky finger. Uh, that prevented Kenley from throwing the ninth. Is that accurate? I, I don't know, man. It, it might be. It might be the Braves just trying to cover up for Kenley a little bit. But the fact is, the Braves had a one-run game in a a very meaningful divisional game that they needed to win. And it was Iglesias throwing the ninth inning, and that is something or who, who was going to throw the ninth inning. Thankfully, the Braves added on a couple more insurance runs. Iglesias still pitched. It was seven to two instead of three to two. Um, But when that happened, it was like, wow, are they full on going away from Kenley in the ninth inning? Uh, We'll probably never know, or maybe we won't know until there's an opportunity for another one run lead. We'll see who gets the call. Uh, But that being said, Kenley then looked really good on Saturday night in a one run situation as well. So it's I don't know if it's a problem because the Braves have a variety of really talented arms in the back end of the bullpen. Uh, but that was one, whether Kenley was injured or whether they were truly trying to make a change uh, caught my eye, and I think it caught a lot of folks' attention as well.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to say with Kenley because I mean, it's not like Kenley has been bad all season. He's just had this stretch. And, you know, when you get the guy later in his career, late in the season, it's not, again, not that weird for a guy to, you know, with a lot of miles on his arm and, you know, dealing with some of the health issues. That Kenley's had to deal with to maybe not pitch particularly well. He's noted that his you know mechanics haven't felt particularly great. Uh, as you did know, he looked really good on Saturday mowing down through the Phillies. Like it looked, like it was almost comical. Uh, and it seemed like the Phillies just thought that you know it was going to be a bit of a gimme that you know he was going to give them something that they could square up, uh, and all they had to do was swing at it. And they certainly did not <laughs> do that task late in that game. But I, I'm kind of with you in the sense that. This isn't necessarily a problem because I like Kenley makes me nervous. The current iteration of Kenley Jansen makes me nervous because he's clearly just not right. Uh I it, whether or not he gets back to right and Saturday kind of was you know portending, you know, some like really great things coming for him, that's one thing. But you know, when you have a guy like Raziel Glacies who's both owed real real money and is very, very good, although his although Saturday wasn't his his finest hour, we'll get to that here in a second. You know, you have Iglesias. I don't, I'm don't. i never upset when I see A.J. Minter in a game. Surprisingly, I'm not, like, super nervous or concerned, even though I probably should be when Jesse Chavez comes into a game. It, this bullpen has options. Colin McHugh's been good. You know, Dylan Lee certainly had his moments, although he's definitely had some moments here lately where he's been not quite as crisp and, and confidence-inducing. But the, bull, the Braves do have some options, and I hope that they continue to utilize those options late in games. You know, utilizing matchups, you know, figuring out who's fresh and who's not. well, Some of this information we're just frankly not going to have access to. That's just that's just the bottom line. You know, who's feeling great, who's dinged up the most, you know, and all that stuff. But uh, so that, that does bring us to Saturday, which was a much tighter game. Uh, and it's a 4-3 win over the Phillies. And I promised Brad Roland, our, our beloved Brad Rowland, that I would be extolling the virtues of Jake Odorizzi when I took a a, a fairly, I wouldn't call it anti-Odorizzi stance uh, but I would say that I think that I was certainly more open to the idea. And I think, Scott, you mentioned this on Twitter, too, is that I would be open to the idea of trying someone else in that fifth that fifth starter spot. But Udurizzi did pitch well, pitched into the fifth inning, only gave up a run. I would call it good enough uh, when you're getting that from your fifth starter that's perfectly fine. I uh, did want to make note of that. And uh, Brad was very adamant that I made note of the fact that for all everyone who wanted Kyle Wright uh, – not Kyle Wright – Kyle Muller to be replacing him, that uh, Kyle has been quite bad over the last couple starts done in Gwinnett. And that for everyone who thought that it couldn't possibly be worse than Jake Odorizzi, he wanted to make sure that all the haters out there were well aware of the fact that, in fact, it could be worse. And you know, assuming that the stats had been flipped, it would have been on Saturday. Uh, again, he was good enough. The bullpen bent but didn't break. Kenley was noticeably good, but, you know, Raziel Iglesias wasn't particularly sharp. But, Scott, this is where we get to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr., and I kind of want I, – I have a weird amount of excitement for the Ronald Acuna game. Like, kind of w- – were you able to kind of, like, see what he was able doing on Saturday's game? Because he basically single-handedly oh, yeah. won
2: the game for the Braves. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult for a baseball player, a singular baseball player, to win a baseball game all by himself. And Ronald did that. And I think it was just kind of a reminder throughout the weekend. Um, He was in right field as well, which is encouraging. He's probably feeling a little bit better. Um, It was a reminder of just how terrific this kid is when he is feeling right, when his knees are underneath him, when he has his legs under him. Um, For him to hit the two-run home run, almost a mirror shot of what he did on Friday And then have that two-run double down the line, and then the the catch with the bases loaded against Bryce Harper, if he doesn't make that catch, the the Braves may not win the game. As we know, every single night, the game is going to be important with how the Mets are going. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, it was just kind of a, a, not a welcome back. It's not like Acuna has been unplayable or anything. Uh, But for Ronnie to have that good of a performance where he just put the team on his back and Levy he drove in all four runs, made the terrific catch, even made a really strong throw as well from right field. Both he and Michael Harris impacted the game in that regard. Um, Saturday night's game was a lot of fun. And, and again, it's just the Ronald Acuna game is always a good one to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that people kind of, we kind of forget sometimes that like, like for example, that, that throw that he made from right didn't result in an out, but it impacted the game and you know why it's that the next time Bryce Harper, who's a very, you know, as much as Braves fans love to meme on Bryce, he's a very aware player and he's certainly not a stupid player. And he was rounding third and that ball, but he had another ball going to Ronald Acuna Jr. And he had no interest in testing Ronald Acuna Jr.'s arm. And one of the reasons is that Ronald will showcase that arm and he would have gotten Bryce, it would have happened, but you know, there's always a chance that when you make a play at the plate, maybe the catcher doesn't catch the ball, whatever, the throw's not on line, you know, whatever the case may be. But they didn't try to score there, and that impacts the game positively for the Braves. And that's kind of what Ronnie does. It's that, you know, when he's on base, he might not try to steal, but you have to respect that he might try because he's not a guy that, you know, you can just, you know, do it like a half-assed throw to second and maybe get him out because he's so fast. And, you know, you can't make too many mistakes over the plate because if you make a mistake there, he's a guy that can really punish you, hit the ball 500 feet. And that's the difference he can make. And you know over the course of the weekend, he, he made a difference all weekend, had a hard hit double today. He's you know again, he's just a guy that you have to, you have to respect him uh, at the top of the lineup, even though he has not had the greatest year. We'll, we'll, and no one will argue that whatsoever. He has not had the best year. He's been dealing with those injuries. He's very open about the fact that his knee's still bothering him. It's just sore, and that's just part of you know healing from really extensive knee, sur- knee surgery and that injury. But even in his current state, if he can start feeling right enough, that he's the guy that could probably impact the offense for the Braves more than anybody. It's just a fact, yeah. uh, and that's not to take anything away from all these other guys who have been performing really well. I mean, Michael Harris might you know get MVP votes this year. But if you ask me, you know, who's the guy that – in a perfect world where everyone's healthy, who's the guy that I want having to bat in the game? I mean, Ronald Cooney Jr. is still the guy. I mean, am I wrong about that or – I mean, again, yeah. it's just all things. He's just – it's not – I don't know if it's even particularly close. And, again, this is a, a team that has, you know, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, Michael Harris, you know, all these guys who have had really, really good years. I still want Ronnie up there because regardless of what he does at the plate, if it's just a single – uh, good things, can, a lot of good things can still happen when he's on base. It's just, you know, he's just, he's still a guy that I think that we has been glossed over a little bit. And if he can get going, this would be really fun. And that takes us to today's game, Scott. And Spencer Strider is making this Rookie of the Year race awfully interesting. And I kind of want to. I, I, you and I haven't talked about it. I know it's been talked about in the podcast a bunch. But Spencer Strider, again, wasn't particularly crisp, especially early on in the game. Still managed to strike out ten guys. In six innings, gave up one hit, which was a solo homer. One, he was the third rookie in Braves franchise history to get 200 strikeouts. First in the modern era. I mean, we're talking about like guys in the 1890s uh, for the other guys, and they threw like literally like 300, 400 innings. Uh, one guy, I think, had like 49 complete games, uh, which had done, which did the trick, which is you know frankly mind-boggling to do in a single season. I don't. That's like fundamentally difficult for me to understand. It only took him 130 innings to get to 200 strikeouts this year. If you're picking right now, and again right yeah. right now, between Michael Harris
2: and Spencer Strider, who do you give the rookie the, who do you give the rookie year award to? So it's a great question, um, and th- this is kind of my answer as of with two and a half weeks to go. I think the National League Rookie of the Year is Spencer Strider. He is truly as dominant, especially since he joined the rotation at the end of May. Strider's numbers go up against literally any pitcher in baseball like he he is up there with the best of the best. So if I had to vote I would by a nose give it to Spencer Strider for National League Rookie of the Year. That being said if if I was voting on who was the Braves' rookie of the year I'd probably give it to Michael Harris because of the impact he made in center field. Uh, what he has done at the bottom half of the lineup, the Braves now have 90 RBI out of the ninth spot where Harris of course was batting for most of his time. Um, it, it's It's such a fun debate and it's uh, the Braves by far have the two runaway candidates for the position. I would guess that Strider is going to win uh, because of just some of those you know, again, 200 strikeouts is crazy. And it's crazy for a guy who didn't make his first start until May 31st. Like he didn't start until Memorial day. Um, it's, it's going to be a really fun, uh, process to see how it all shakes out. But if I guess my answer is national league, Cy, uh, Cy Young, maybe a slip there, uh, national league rookie of the year, I would lean Strider, but I, I think if for the Braves, I think Harris is almost more valuable just because of the way he changed the roster dynamic uh, once he got called up.
1: This is so, so tough for me. And I want to be abundantly clear. Whoever between the, as long as it's one of these two guys, I have no issues whatsoever because I, this is very hard to parse. Very. Like, I think that both Spencer Strider and Michael Harris should get down ballot love. I don't think they're favorites in either of those. I mean, like Paul Goldschmidt's been great over there in St. Louis. You won't hear me say otherwise. He's been great all year long. Then you have like Carlos Rodon, Aaron Nola. Those guys have been very, very good. But Spencer Strider should get love, like downbound love for the Cy Young too, right? To have those two guys, those guys of resumes in the running for rookie of the year is blows my mind. I'll say this. I'm with you. For the moment. (laughs) Uh, And it's the sense that I think that if I were voting today, I'd be picking Spencer Strider just because I think he's been slightly, ever so slightly more valuable in the overall sense. Um, You know, comparing pitchers and hitters is always difficult for these types of awards. They just they're they're, they're measured differently. Their value just kind of comes about differently. Uh, I think that when Spencer Strider was added to the rotation, like, that was kind of the beginning of the turnaround. Uh, The Braves were really, like, struggling with that fifth spot, and then they just end up putting Spencer Strider in there, and he's just been lights out ever since. Um, I completely get the point that, you know, once Michael Harris got called up, that was the beginning of the real turnaround, and that's when, you know, all of a sudden this became from a team that was struggling to get to 500 to a team that's one of the best teams in baseball. I have no issues whatsoever. I think, though, that Michael Harris is going to win it, and here's why. Generally speaking. When it comes to rookie of the year voting hitters, the bar is significantly lower than pitchers. And all you have to do is look at what happened to Trevor Rogers, who was pretty clearly to me the more valuable player and just the better player overall. And he did not win rookie of the year when he was in there. And I think that generally, like we've seen guys who like hit like 260, you know, with some home runs. But like for rookies, like, wow, that's great for a rookie. And then you have a pitcher who was like clearly better end up finishing second or third. I think that the the vote, just the way the voters characterize things. And again, we're talking about two guys who have like real measurables and things you can point to. I mean, I mean, like Spencer Strider is the guy who has struck out 200 batters, the quickest in the single season than anybody, period. Not rookies, not anything. He was the quickest in innings to get the 200 strikeouts. And you have Michael Harris, who is probably a favorite, if not the favorite, to win the gold glove in center field. Should probably get some MVP consideration considering what he's been able to do for the Braves. He's been probably one of their most important offensive pieces for the last two months in a really important season. Hits for power. Does everything well other than draw walks. That's basically it. That's basically the, the end of the list of things that you don't like about in this current form is that you wish he'd draw some more walks. I have no problems where, he, where, where people vote here as long as it's between those two. If Brendan Donovan wins rookie of the year – then I think the vote's rigged because those these are very clearly the two guys. Yeah. But no it's chance. like no, no chance that happens. I think that it's one of these two guys. They've both been very, very good. I think I'd vote for Strider. Uh I tend to say that uh immediately after Spencer Strider starts because he always does something like this. And then, you know, Michael Harris just has like captain consistency, just hits for power, hits gets late game important hits, makes crazy plays in the out in the outfield. Uh I waffle a little bit back and forth. It's like a 52-48 thing for me. Uh, between those two guys. I'd probably give the edge to Strider. Um, and I love the kind of the playfulness uh, that was after the game with Spencer Strider. Cause Mike, Michael Harris almost stole a home run. The only home only run that got scored off Spencer Strider was on a solo shot and Michael Harris very nearly caught it at the wall. So, and you know, Strider was like, I catch that ball in BP all the time. And you know, maybe these young guys will figure it out. So, something along those <laughs> lines uh, that made me laugh a little bunch. Uh, but yeah. the, so Spencer Strider was obviously great on Sunday uh, to finish out the sweep, but another under guy, Scott, was Robbie Grossman, who's had some big hits down, uh, lately for the Braves uh, with a big game at the plate, had a home run, also had a double. Uh, I was a bit shocked to look at. I was looking because I noticed, like, I kind of thought, like, he's actually had some good hits lately. He has a 128 WRC plus in September. Where are you at with Robbie Grossman? Because honestly, like, I would not have guessed that number if I was just like kind of like, you know, did someone say, hey, how's Robbie Grossman been doing?
2: Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Once again, Alex Anthopoulos was right. Um, feels like we could say that with a lot of things he's been doing uh, lately. But yeah, I mean, we we liked Robbie. Um, the batted ball profile was there. We knew that he was coming from a a horrendous, like historically bad situation in Detroit with the Tigers, and then coming here, it seems like most nights he's he's in the lineup. He makes an impact for the better. Uh, he has some real power um had a really nice game on sunday i had a double and a home run he of course had that huge would have been go ahead homer in seattle a week ago um he's done his job i think defensively he's been perfectly fine out there as well maybe not like a gold glove caliber outfielder but he's he's been perfectly fine whenever the ball gets hit at robbie i don't like close my eyes and oh man here we go um He's been a nice addition. He's, he's formed a nice platoon with Eddie Rosario. Eddie is still not really hitting all that much, so his versatility as a switch hitter has been valuable. Um, and again, man, it was just a, a strong find from the front office. He was not a big name by any means, but uh, there was a pretty great stat that I dug up over the weekend. Uh, Robbie Grossman, as of Saturday morning, so this is even higher, uh, Robbie Grossman was worth 0.4 war, in his time with the Braves, which was better than what the Padres have gotten from Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, and Josh Hader, that that probably says a little bit more about the Padres guys than it does Grossman. But again, you talk about, I mean, whenever the Robbie Grossman trade went down, I think I checked our battery power slack and I was like, prospect guys, who is this? And, and all of you were like, I mean, I, I don't even know who they traded for our Robbie Grossman <laughs> off the top of my head. So Uh, He's done a nice job filling in, especially in the bottom of the lineup, and um, we'll see see what kind of role he has forward. But I think the Braves are in better shape whenever he's in the lineup, more times than not.
1: Yeah, and as you noted, it's been especially important that since Eddie Rosario just hasn't been playing particularly well. And, you know, Marcelo Zuno's kind of in that, you know— in that group as well for different reasons. And you know, we don't have to necessarily rehash my thoughts on Marcellus. I know they're pretty well documented at this point. But to have that guy be able to come in and just perform as well as he had, you don't have on this team, you don't have to be hundred and fifty WRC plus guy. You just have to be reasonable. You just have to be you have to be okay. And he's been he's had big moments and he's been lately he's been good. And you know, fixing that swing from the left side and you know the things that they noticed with the with the Braves on the Brave side, they're like, hey look, you need to make this change. Uh, it's going to make a big difference for you, we think he immediately buys in Makes that change, and like a lot of his big moments at the plate have been from the left side, which is really heartening to see. Uh, the Braves obviously closed t- today's game out with a 5-2 win. Uh, while Bill Contreras is added at it, at it again, and he seems to, you know, consistently down the stretch, he's looking like he's getting stronger. He had a bit of a lull for a while, but he had a home run today. Um, our King Jesse Chavez uh, closed the game out with a 5-1 lead. Uh, interesting choice, one that kind of caught my eye a little bit, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea with a four-run lead to. You know, go get, get, go to Jesse to kind of give some of those other more high leverage guys some rest, and you know he gives up a run, but overall close the game out, no problem, five two win for the Braves. But I do want before we kind of get, get to the week ahead, and then we kind of close this thing out. I want to talk a little bit about Matt Olson because uh, a lot's starting to get made, and it rightly so that he has had a really rough stretch of late. You know, he had been kind of hanging around, like he had been perfectly reasonable for a while. You know, he had, you know, it's intermittent power, a lot of doubles more than home runs than we were thinking. The average was hanging around 250, 260, more in the 250 range. But, you know, he had been perfectly fine. Seemed like he was starting to settle in a little bit. And then lately he's just been actively rough just really rough at the play had something really uncompetitive at bats lately, particularly in today's game, just like three, four pitch strikeouts. just didn't look like he was dialed in at all. Kind of where are you at? I know that you had kind of made some comparisons between, uh, Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson that made Twitter really mad. And, you know, I kind of made fun of you a little bit for doing it, but, uh, tell me a little bit kind of where you're at with yeah. Matt, because I don't have any necessarily long-term concerns, but it definitely sucks that he hasn't been particularly good.
2: Yeah. Please, please don't shoot the messenger um yeah i mean matt's in a bad slump i mean it's obvious um you know this is this is one of the worst slumps in his entire career at this point um he's been underneath everything uh the power has not been there i mean we're at the point where even the broadcast on i think it was saturday night was kind of pointing to some Uh, foul balls that Matt has hit well over the last couple of days as like a sign of encouragement of like, Oh, he's starting to figure out a few things. Um, You know, if if we're pointing to foul balls being a sign of things to come, that that's not great. Um, Quite obviously Matt Olson is a really talented baseball player. He's 28 years old. It's not like he suddenly forgot how to hit. Uh, But he he's really been struggling. I think you just have to keep hoping that he finds himself over these final couple of weeks. It, it goes without saying that you need Matt Olson to be hitting, especially when he is behind, uh, names like Acuna Swanson and Riley. Um, you know, and again, it it was a point of contention and debate this week, especially, you know, Matt has played basically every single inning for the entire year. Uh, that that's not ideal. I mean, uh, now, I don't know. If he had two days off, one in June and one in July, would he be in this horrible slump? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I never think resting guys is a bad thing. Um, but when you're talking about someone who has been out there so, so much every single game, um, I don't know. Is it is it related? Is it not? Uh, but either way, Matt's in a slump, and you just have to hope he finds himself soon.
1: Yeah, and I kind of want to head off some stuff, too, because there's certainly a bit of, you know, the the, the comparison's always going to be there. Look at what Freddie Freeman's doing. He's another perennial MVP year for Freddie. He's in, the, he's in the conversation. And then you have Matt Olson struggling and everyone's like, the Braves should have signed Freddie Freeman back. A couple things. One, you can talk to Freddie Freeman's agent about that role problem. Right. It's like, you know, if, you know, if there, there's there, when there's an ultimatum set in place, then that's the reason the negotiations went south. It's not because the Braves per, in a vacuum preferred Matt Olson over Freddie Freeman. Secondly, Matt Olsen is a good baseball player. He may not. It, it's entirely possible, maybe even likely, that over the life of their contracts, Freddie Freeman is a better player than Matt Olson. However, I'm willing to bet on the track record, both defensively where you know Matt Olson had that really rough start to the year with like really uncharacteristic errors that were driving us crazy because everyone's like, we thought he was supposed to be a gold glover at first base and he hasn't been, you know, Freddie's better, blah, blah, blah. I'll bet on the track record of him being a really good defensive player with a ton of power from the left side, maybe he won't have the batting average of 2-1. But I think he, that the version of Matt Olson that we're getting this year is not the player that he's going to be long term. I'll bet on that, and I'll bet that the Braves will be happy that they signed him to that deal in the long term. It's entire, it might it might not happen. It might not. There's reason you know. Anytime there's a hit tool question, things can go south quickly. But there's a lot to like about Matt Olson. There's gonna be times where it's frustrating. this is a particularly rough stretch, and I get why you know look the Braves are in a tight division race they fans desperately want the Braves to win the top of the lineups really struggled uh except Ronnie like really really recently, and you know Olson has been a part of that, and he's looked particularly rough, but I'm only on balance to bet on Matt Olson being in this lineup being a positive force because I mean again, we've seen him. We've seen like the beginning of the year he was like one of the better hitters in baseball. We've seen him at stretches this year be really really good, be an important part of the offense. On balance, I will bet on Matt Olson being a po- positive member of the, of the lineup. For so those who are already like judging the you know the choice between Freddie and Matt right now are crazy. I think it's fair to say that Freddie's been is no matter what Matt does the rest of the way that Freddie will have a better year this year than Matt will overall. Um, unless you know, you know unless people are like you know valuing the end the, and results of the playoffs, and we're not there yet to be able to make that determination. But overall, I'm betting that the move that the Braves made ends up being just fine, even if you wish that maybe overall that Frey was the, the better player and you kind of wish you still had him around for a lot of reasons. So that takes us to the next week, Scott. Uh, we have a tight division race here. Uh, the Braves have three... Uh, at home against Washington, then they go to Philadelphia for four, which is an interesting really interesting series. While the Mets have three at Milwaukee, and then you noted in the, the the document, I was really surprised they have three at Milwaukee. Then they have a day off and have three at Oakland, which is a really weird road trip to take this late in the series. Kind of, what, what are you kind of expecting from this coming week, and what would make you happy?
2: Huh. Well, it would make me happy. The Milwaukee Brewers scoring forty-five runs over the next three days would make me True. happy. True. Uh, True yeah you know, Milwaukee is is right on the cusp of the National League wildcard race. Uh, really it's a good race for those fifth and sixth spots so they absolutely have something to play for. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the podcast the Mets got swept at home by the Cubs. Uh, you know this is a weird time of year in, in Major League Baseball. Um, you know sometimes the bad teams are playing their best ball sometimes the good teams are, are falling off and slowing down uh, but you hope in Milwaukee, Um, you hope the Brewers can win at least one, maybe two, maybe three, uh, because the Braves are going to be at home against Washington, which is a a very favorable series. Um, and then, you know, three games out West in Oakland is kind of funky. I mean, we saw, uh, we saw the Braves struggle with the athletics. Granted, they won both games, but both of them were a little odd. And there was that, that night where the ball was just flying, um anytime you're asking a team to travel 3,000 miles out to the west coast you know for the 150th game of the season is is always a little nerve-wracking hopefully the travel gets to new york um as we record going into monday it it, the east is virtually tied the braves are technically a game back although in the loss column uh they are um you know they've played two fewer games um so we'll see it's a big week for both teams. Going to Philadelphia for four is going to be a challenge. Uh the Phillies are are quite obviously a talented team, even if the Braves just got the better of them. And uh, again, it's crazy, man. we I think the there's two and a half weeks left, including that massive series against the Mets and two weekends from now. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, one way or the other. The Braves are going to be in. We have documented well the importance and the favorability of winning the division this year for a multitude of reasons. But either way, get into the playoffs, be playing good baseball, and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that I, I don't. I certainly don't think that the division going. I think the division's going to be sided ultimately in that series with the Mets. But it certainly helps the cause to put together a good week this week. You have a, a series against Washington, which in theory, based on how bad the Nationals have been, they should be able to do well in that series. Any road series in Philadelphia, I mean, that Philadelphia is a team that desperately needs to win. Um, Anytime you play a team, a whole bunch too, in like a week span, you know, like weird things happen. It's it's hard to bet on winning seven straight over the Philadelphia Phillies, period, right? That's that's not, that's not a bad basketball baseball team over there. And you're getting four of those at Philadelphia. So you want to really take care of business at Washington, Um, then, you know, hopefully you can at least, at least get a split in Philly. You know, if you get out of next week with a with four, four and three, five and two, you're probably satisfied. You want more than that. You certainly want more than four and three, but you can't really, I mean, over on balance over, over a baseball season, like four and three all the time is a perfectly reasonable space to be on, but maybe you can get a little bit better than that, especially against a Philadelphia team that you've played pretty well against recently. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, whereas I'm kind of with you. Hopefully, Milwaukee figures out how to play because I'm I'm not necessarily banking on Oak, the Oakland Athletics and you know their seven dollar payroll or whatever it is at this point uh, getting the job done against the Mets. But at the same time, the Mets have lost some bad teams, so we'll see. If you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this podcast, you, all you need to do is subscribe to the Battery Power podcast feed. Uh, whatever podcast provider you prefer to search Battery Power, you subscribe to the feed. Not only did you get the flagship show, which is normally hosted by the great Brad Rowland, but he is currently on a plane somewhere. Uh, and you, then you also get the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is our minor show hosted by yours truly, as well as Garrett Spain. You get the... Very recently named podcast to be named later hosted by Stephen Tolbert and our fearless leader, Chris Willis, which is kind of our deep dive prospect podcast into broad topics, three or four podcast topics each week where we can kind of get in depth and tell what's going on, as well as the Daily Hammer, which is hosted by Sean Coleman, who does a great job keeping you up to date with the dailies, what's going on in the night's previous games during the week. Scott, thanks to you. You make sure you follow Scott over on Twitter at Scott Coleman 55, where he is going to be, uh, I think it's fair to say, committing a lot of violence on Twitter on a day-to-day basis, uh, getting people all riled up and getting fans yelling at him of all stripes, not just Braves fans, all types of fans. Uh, it's always a good time. And every once in a while a, a meme goes viral and then, you know, Scott takes over Twitter for a little while. If you want to follow me over on Twitter, make sure you follow me at Leprechaun with a K. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you're, you're reading the site over on batterypower.com. We have great content going up each and every day. Thanks to you all so much, and we'll see you next time.
3: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot, because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle